What's up, everyone? Welcome to Wednesday Night Wars as part of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on Patreon. My name is David Hockney, and I am joined with the stooge that is Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? Oh, that's very charming. Well, next time you can find someone else to record with you. <laughs> I, well, you always step in at the last minute anyway, so I have to give you credit for that. Yes, I'm, I'm too nice as it seems. Yeah, you're Some a very nice... don't really appreciate it. You're a very nice stooge. We'll give, we'll say that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Nothing like right. that kind of compliment to get us started. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you're just listening to the show for the first time on our new Patreon page, you can also follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex We Tweet. And make sure you're subscribed to our regular weekly show on all good podcasting sites, uh, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites. And be sure to visit the website as well, suplexretweet.com, for all the details on interviews, articles, upcoming shows, and everything else in between. So, now, this Wednesday Night Wars is going to be quite interesting because the week prior uh, was the Full Gear pay-per-view from AEW. So we'll be discussing the, the Fallout week from that. And with NXT, we're continuing to build towards NXT War Games, which is next week, next Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. So a lot to get through, and I think it's best that we just get stuck right into it. Right into it. Scott, are you ready? I'm all set. All right, so we'll kick off, as usual, with AEW Dynamite, uh, with uh, John Moxley doing a bit of a squash match, shall we say, against Michael Nakazawa. And, but then he cuts quite a scathing promo saying... Uh, AEW roster better watch its back because Kenny Omega was the only person to step up uh, and challenge him in that sort of match. Uh, what do you think of Moxley and how he and Omega got on in their lights out match at Full Gear? Uh, I would agree with kind of a Scottish match. It was, it, we haven't seen much of Michael Nakazawa, not really since his, his hardcore kind of comedy match from Fighter Fest. And mm-hmm. it kind of made sense that he didn't really last long against Moxley given their different statuses in the company and I was surprised because I heard Omega wasn't clear to compete so I was uh-huh. surprised to see Moxley wrestling because I wasn't sure like what kind of toll the match on because it was quite a violent match it was a long match as well yeah, yeah. like did you see the uh the aftermath of Kenny going to see the trainer like he had like these really nasty like scars across his back I imagine that was from all the the barbed wire bumps that he took yeah but yeah, and also he kind of took almost, almost kind of dropped on his head when he took the kind of the paradigm shift spot on the boards towards yeah. the end. So I think that's probably got something to do as well. But as for the promo itself, I really enjoyed it because this feels like what Moxley's doing right now. He's kind of finding the balance between crazy and dangerous that he struggled to find at certain points when he was in uh, the WWE. Uh-huh. And he's setting the kind of this you know, role for himself as kind of the renegade of the promotion who doesn't care where he is in the rankings if he wants to take a shot he's gonna get it yeah i remember him saying after the match as well like towards the, he was looking towards the back and he said that one counts right obviously uh, reference the fact that he wants his wins and losses to to mean something now so yeah. he's definitely he's definitely a man with a man with a purpose shall we say on yeah, no he, feel, he feels like he's been let off the leash a bit hasn't he yeah because i remember the whole thing about he was frustrated about the match going sanction because he, worked, he did work so hard to get a win over Kenny Omega, one of the most high-profile wrestlers in the world, and uh-huh. does he even count. And then, remember he said, I think it was the end of the full gear match, up doing the, the camera because they've been going on about the ranking system. And he goes, well, I'm now fourth, fifth, I don't care. Yeah. But yeah, I think and he's uh, he basically issued an open challenge to any AEW guy to step up and get him in the ring with him because, you know, he's uh, he's the... He's the guy calling the shots, essentially. And he, he definitely comes across as much much more confident in his promos mm. and definitely he feels more in place with what he wants rather than you know just being held back all the time when he was in WWE. Yeah, because they've said that there, are, there aren't really any writers in AEW. There are some like, producers in that, but for the most part, the guys have more freedom with the segments they're involved in. So I think it's mm. that freedom he's taking full advantage of it. Yeah, the fact he's now got creative control of his character, he definitely he's he's bringing out the best in him, and I really hope he goes a long way because, you know, obviously the man behind Moxley, you know, Jonathan Good, he's he definitely comes across as being more satisfied with just being himself rather than being some goofy uh, renegade or you know lunatic. So this this is going to going to benefit him in the long run. Mm-hmm. All right, so. On to the next match, and it was a tag team match between Jurassic Express and the Dark Order. So Jurassic Express being presented by 
Marcus Stunt and Jungle Boy. <laughs> like, what's your impression of these two tag teams? Because they've kind of been fairly low-key compared to some of the other ones we discussed last week. It's weird about the, the Dark Order, because when they first came in, they were seen as you know, the big threat, and they were being positioned to go up against the uh, best friends, and they did all this build across like those handful of shows that they were doing before TV, but it's weird since uh, since All Out, it just kind of felt like just, just a really weird tag team you'd find on a really low-grade low indie show. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm not really invested in them. That's what I was going to say about Jurassic Express. I, I enjoyed them. I wasn't too upset to see them lose because it's good as they are. They're not used to it. I mean, those two are used to always having Luchasaurus with them, but and I'm not saying they need to rely on them, but I think it's just like a new experience for them not having like the third member of their team uh, watching their back in that moment. And I think it also explains why they they lost at the tag tournament because Luchasaurus had to be suddenly pulled due to an injury. Yeah. I mean, Luchasaurus is kind of the, the sort of commanding presence of Jurassic Express, but not not to take anything away from uh, Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy because they are actually quite entertaining mm-hmm. in the ring. I think it's just having that the big man with them. It kind of it, he's like their their X factor, you know that there he's their their exclamation point that, that make them a legitimate threat. The the Dark Order, on the other hand, you know, I hate to say it, but I feel like they're becoming AEW's equivalent of the Ascension. You know, quite a, a promising gimmick, but it's just not hitting any right notes at all. Yeah, that thing where they have talent, but it's just the gimmick really struggling to present the gimmick, and it really holds them, really holds them back. Like, I'm not even sure who's in charge. Is it Stu Grayson or is it Evil Uno? Because Evil Uno is the one, you know, he was the one cutting the promo against uh, Marco Stunt at, uh, at the end of it. See, the thing with Marco Stunt and that is, it's not just in the need Luchasaurus for his size. I mean, he is technically the brains of the operation. He's the one with the with the master's degrees. He likes to remind people. And uh, a lot of people say that Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy are kind of, un- un- especially Marco Stunt, is not believable as a wrestler. Like, I don't think that's really the case because his size, because smaller wrestlers can be more like athletic and also they're able to duck out of the way of, so they can be more evasive. And I think Marco Stunt for that year, he was constantly trying to avoid the Dark Order's kind of offense. Yeah. So, and with Evil Uno as well, like, do you not get the uh, the impression that he can, he can cut like a, a decent promo, or do you think you know him having Stu Grayson alongside him? Do you think you know is there really a, a set role for for either of them? Like, know, oh, is one going to be just the the one that does all the the end ring work, and the other just cuts promos, or do you think it's a bit of both for them? I think Evil Uno can cut good promo. I just I don't think too many people are paying attention because. They're not a lot of people aren't really into them at the moment, and it does mm-hmm. feel like Evoluno's the one that's kind of controlling everything because he's the one with the creepers. They're always making that wee throne for him to sit on. Yeah. Whereas Stu kind of just he just kind of barks orders at Stu Grayson. Stu Grayson just does it. Yeah, Stu Grayson's just kind of there, mm-hmm. and you know usually it's when you've got the sort of uh, big man small man tag teams. It's usually the small man that calls the shots, whereas the big man does all the heavy lifting, but it seems to be the other way around in this case. I'm not sure it works that well, and maybe that's why it's not getting over with, with the fans, largely because, you know, maybe it's just not an interesting gimmick that's working for them, or maybe the roles aren't quite right for the character. I think uh, the way they were just thrust into AEW immediately at double or nothing, I think they'd held back on these guys to maybe slowly introduce them that may have may have changed like how people perceive them and give them a chance to understand what exactly is you know, they're meant to be doing. Mm-hmm. And the thing with Stu Grayson as well that hurts him is his name's Stu. Like, <laughs> like you've got Evil Uno, the Dark Order, and Stu. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, I don't know, it's just like a... It's a name you wouldn't expect to be somebody that's part of like an evil cult, would you? Yeah, and it doesn't help that he dresses like a, an extra from Vikings. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen Vikings, but I'll take your word for it on uh, on that front. Uh, there was a tease at the end, you know, maybe Marco Stunt could join the Dark Order. Do you think that's going to go anywhere? Um, maybe not, but that's something they should maybe do to kind of make them interesting if they kind of find out these creepers are all like wrestlers, ones who have now been turned over to the Dark Order. So you kind of them beat, make them like a cult, kind of like what? You kind of fail to do with the Wyatt family, have them brainwash people and eventually bring them over to their side because I think you can, can tell a more compelling story without them rather than just bringing the Dark Order. Everybody can just say, like, oh, look, here's the Dark Order. 
they're spooky and they're going to have a match. Yeah. Uh, and last thing, uh, Luchasaurus has come back from injury now. Do you think mm -hmm. that's a bit soon, or do you think, you know, this is actually, you know, this is going to benefit Jurassic Express? I think it was more of a case of he brought him back because, like, his injury wasn't as severe as the... It's always going to be like there were talks that he was going to be up to like the start of next year. So I think it was a case of bringing him back now because I think it was more him and Jungle Boy were more of the tag team. So uh -huh. I think they want to just like pick up where they left off. Uh, okay. Well, I'm curious to see where it goes from there, definitely. Uh, but anyway, moving on to the next match, we've got Darby Allen versus Peter Avalon and uh, Sean Spears. This was kind of a bit of a throwaway, a throwaway match, don't you think? Yeah, it was an odd combination. I think it was a case of they wanted uh, a way to continue this Sean Spears-Joey Janela feud. So yeah. they used that to take Spears out and not have him take the pin because they wanted Darby Allen to pick up the win to lead on to what we'll talk about in a minute. And I think it was wise because not pinning Spears because he's just starting to get a, uh, his momentum again after the loss to Cody. So, mm -hmm. And he just came off that win full gear. So... I think it was wise keeping him out because you're continuing a potentially interesting story with him and Joey Janela. Yeah, I hope, I hope it goes somewhere with Sean Spears and Janela, but it, it just seems to be, you know, Sean Spears hasn't had the best of luck in, you know, kick-starting his AEW career after obviously leaving WWE as formerly Ty Dillinger. It's, uh, I don't think he's just been in, he's just really got off on the right foot. Do you think, is that fair to say? I think so, I mean, I'm, I think because a lot of people, when they looked at the thing between him and Cody, it felt like Spears would probably win to establish him. I think it's because Cody was going to go on to the world title. Yeah, thing. Cody, Cody needed momentum for that, definitely. And, the, and then it was going to lead into the MGF thing, which hopefully will have a. Hopefully that means that they were saving the Cody big loss for when he eventually has his match with MGF, so they had to have him go over Spears. Mm -hmm. I mean, Darby Allen. You know, he continues to capture the imagination of the AEW fans. He's become a fan favourite so quickly. He's even challenged Chris Jericho for the AEW world title within the first six weeks of Dynamite. Yeah. And, you know, he uh, convincingly wins the match after doing the coffin drop to Peter Avalon. And he's now accepted John Moxley's challenge from the opening promo. How do you think that's going to go? Uh, I'm just hoping it's kind of a regular like street fight and not a light and sight style match because there's no point in overexposing this match and plus constantly doing these big matches where wins and the wins and losses don't affect the record. It's probably not something you want to be doing in a company where you say wins and losses matter. Yeah, they're kind of going overkill with the unsanctioned matches uh, because they've had like what three or four in the space of two months. I mean, it's quite yeah. a it's quite a lot. Consider it, yeah, and like you said, you know, this is a company that's going to take wins and loss records into account. And Moxley's obviously expressed that he wants his wins and losses to count as well. But at the same time, he obviously wants a bit of carnage. So I, I can see the proposition of them having a street fight that is that is a, a sanctioned match. But I think it would definitely put the, both these guys in contention for future, maybe, maybe a future title opportunity. Possibly, I think. Like Tony Khan said in the media scrum post full gear that they're probably going to put the pen on uh, unsanctioned and lights out matches for at least a, a good while. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a case of like you need to come up with new gimmick matches and the problem is most of them have either been trademarked or they've already been done to death. So yeah. it's really hard to come up with, with new ones. And the thing with the lights out matches is like affecting the wins and losses because they've said that every now and then maybe it's like the start of a new year that your win-loss record resets. So yeah. that we're not, don't get there, was, so. there was talk of them uh, actually rebooting AEW in the new year, where I think wins and loss records will be reset. I think it's a good because if you've got a person who's been on a losing streak, then you can tell the story of them trying to, like, this is my new a new year, it's a new start for me, because mm. eventually you're going to get to a win-loss record comes up. 227 wins, 138 losses, like, <laughs> overkill. Yeah, it just goes into too much detail. So I think resetting is probably a good idea. And at least, you know, they can do a, a year year by year analysis. And, you know, being a statistician myself, I think I appreciate <laughs> a, like a, a good bit of uh, breakdown analysis on a competitor. I mean, they yeah. do it all the time with SFA and stuff uh, or just football in general. That's where they have these little, um, these little uh, monitors in the back of their shirts. 
I think they do it for rugby players too. All the idea of it starting a new year because you could have all these like lower card guys who don't win a lot making uh-huh. like basically being as effective as a New Year's resolution. Like I'm going to win a lot this year, and then two months into the year they've already lost like ten times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so uh, moving on to the next match, it was the the women's match of the night. We had Nyla Rose versus Danny Jordan. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, not really much I can say about this apart from the following segment, or I think it was the segment prior to it where Ali was being interviewed by Tony Schiavone and then out comes Awesome Kong with Brandy Rhodes. Like, do you think um, do you think potentially we could see a match between Nyla Rose and Awesome Kong? I think it's going to get to a case where Brandy's, like, controlling Kong, and Kong's went on this kind of rampage. It's so, like, dominant that maybe someone like Nyla Rose is the only one who can match up with her. So, yeah. I think that's... The two big women going at it, essentially. Yeah, it's yeah. Kind of, they've done it in like the men's division like a lot. Like you've got one dominant guy, and then you've got another one, and eventually you're gonna to have to put them kind of together and see what happens. And mm. I think with Nyla Rose, it was short this match, but it was effective enough, and like she looked a lot better than she did when she nearly dropped Michael Nakazawa on his head a few weeks back. Yeah, and is it just is it just as awesome Kong actually look a bit a bit smaller than she used to be? Like, possibly she's not, she's not as big as she used to be. I think so, because uh, maybe it's also to do with her kind of training to take part in, like, glow and that's, I think, for going out in Hollywood, she's maybe slimmed down a bit, because she's not been wrestling full-time like, a lot, because she's been focused on acting, because, like she said, she hadn't wrestled in a long time when mm-hmm. she got the call to come to Double or Nothing, so I think it's just the it's just a case of, like, time to get away from the ring, but I don't think it's maybe a thing against her, because she's still a lot stronger and a lot more dominant than the majority of the roster. Yeah, who was Awesome Kong's original manager before Brandy Rhodes? Like the what the one she had when she was in TNA. I, I forget her name. Ah, uh, can't remember. It's a bit too far back for me because I was only watching bits and pieces of of TNA back then. Because mm. I'm not sure how I feel about Brandy Rhodes as a heel manager, considering Cody's kind of playing a face character. But I think, I think as long as they're kept separate and their characters are clearly defined as being different, then that's fine. Because if any of you have Brandy coming out with Cody. And that's when you get into mm-hmm. kind of almost like Triple H, Stephanie McMahon territory of like they're nice in one segment, but then Triple H, like Triple H is nice in NXT and he comes up to the main roster, he's got a heel promo on someone. Yeah, it's I think they've they've kind of got that at the moment, you know, because obviously Cody's now feuding with MJF and you know Brandy sort of doing her thing with the women's division. So I think I think they're doing okay, uh, but hopefully down the line we'll get to see Nyla Rose versus Kong at some point. So yeah. now, now I think we're going to come to arguably one of the most entertaining segments of the entire show this week. Uh, Chris Jericho and MJF cutting a promo on each other. <laughs> I, I, I've got to ask you, Scott, like, what was your initial reaction to this? I saw a clip from this like, while AEW was live. I wasn't watching. I was going to wait till the next day to watch it. But I saw the clip and I thought, oh, this is going to be a good like thing when I see the full segment. It was about where Jericho basically talked about how similar they were and he was like he accused MJF's parents of conceiving him after watching Jericho be up Hooven to Guerrera back in WCW to which MJF says who the hell is (laughs) Hooven? It just goes to show the difference in generations as well because obviously I think Jericho is pretty much twice as old as MJF so it's a bit of a generational collide there and then there was the whole teasing about you know Jericho was saying do you want to join I think you want to join the inner circle, and then MJF is like, "Do you want me in the inner circle?" And we're just sort of going literally in circles as with that it, promo. And you wouldn't expect anything less from Jericho, like especially a heel Jericho who likes to sort of, you know, go a bit overboard with you know the hilarious promos. I think some people maybe kind of, I think I may have said a few negative things about Jericho after all. Like, some people may be eating the words. I think Jericho at the moment. Of the majority of like promotions at the moment, he's the best like world champion at the moment. Like you reckon? Yeah, because like we got Brock and WWE is a guy. I mean, the Fiend's entertaining, but he's not. He's only on an occasional segment. But I think Jericho, he's putting on decent matches. He's not putting on like the same matches as Adam Cole does. But it's about you're always talking every week about what Jericho's up to. Because like last week, all everyone was talking about was the build between him and Cody and the parody segment. This week people are talking about this, like 
Jericho, even as maybe older than most champions right now, Jericho's still being heavily talked about. Mm. Well, largely because he is a very influential sort of figure in the in the industry. You know, he's a twenty five he's a twenty five to thirty year veteran. He's the current champion. He's still cutting promos the same way he was doing back when we uh, saw him as, you know, he was in Jericho. He was doing the list of Jericho with Kevin Owens. He just seems to, he's just so natural on the mic. And, you know, whether he can do like a parody account, he can do uh, a wind up on another heel. But then they end up both being on the same page as well when they both agree that Cody's the biggest asshole in the company. See, that's the one thing I wasn't sold on that bit between these two because it doesn't look like MJF is going to be in the inner circle. I think he's probably going to do his own thing, but that just seemed like they were just ripping off the bit they did with him and Kevin Owens after Survivor Series, like, and they teased their breakup, and then they both went, it's Rowan Reigns' fault we lost, and then they mm. did the hug. Maybe, but it's it was still entertaining because I remember when they both agreed on it, I just couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> yeah, and, like, talk about... Jericho being influential and being a veteran, like it's a it's just an example of his longevity that he mentioned. Oh, you remembered and he's saying when he mentioned it. Oh yeah, this guy's been wrestling since like the early to mid nineties, and he's still like he's still producing segments that make you laugh and make you want to tune in. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Cody comes out to confront MGF after obviously MGF threw in the towel for him and then low blowed him, effectively turning heel. I think we all saw MJF turning heel coming from quite a bit off because he's yeah. he's a very natural heel. So seeing him aligned with Cody just felt a bit odd. And then out of uh, out of the crowd comes the anticipated debut of Wardlow. Well, that silence said everything there, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much summed up because the crowd was kind of dead, wasn't it, when he yeah, came out? I mean, on the thing of MJF the uh, heel turn, like it's one of the things we've all had, like. We all know somebody who's got like maybe a pal who's a bit of a, a bit of a knob, and then but it seems <laughs> to be that pal, the person they're pals with who doesn't see it because they're friends with them, and like because you all know people like that, and I think so. I think it's a bit more believable as to why Cody's the only one who couldn't see just how annoying MJF was because they'd have all these things and like places like beating the elite where as soon as Cody was out the room and there was somebody else in the room with MJF, MJF would just revert back to like his typical self, whereas when Cody was in the room, he'd like put on this like fake smile. So mm. I think it wasn't wasn't too bad of a story, like even though like eventually you knew it had to come. Whereas with Wardlow, they had like they say anticipated they played a vignette all out, we heard nothing about it, and then two or so weeks into Dynamite we had another one and then we haven't heard anything since tonight. So he's not exactly been the best built up. There's not that much anticipation around him. Yeah, and, it, and they're sort of going in circles with the big, uh, the big strongman as the bodyguard for the cocky heel. So it's, I mean, it's a, it's a role that's kind of you know been repeated again. But I think this kind of works for MGF, you know, being a cowardly heel, just get his big, his big lackey to do all the, the work for him. Yeah, and we don't know when the next preview is going to be. They're saying they're kind of spacing them out, and Cody's not really. Uh, clear to compete at the moment, so they can take the time to build to it with Wardlow backing up MGF. You can maybe do something with MGF and Wardlow attacking Dustin, so maybe when Cody's healthy, you can do like the Rhodes Brothers versus Wardlow and MGF to then build to whenever the next pay per view is MGF versus Cody. Yeah, maybe they'll do it in the new year. Maybe again go in competition with NXT UK because NXT UK has obviously announced the second take the second Blackpool takeover. In the yeah, new year, it's, it's interesting because like they've announced that Jericho's new cruises in like the early new year, and he said that EW is going to be a part of like ROH wasn't the first one, so I'm interested to see if like maybe they'll tape any of the stuff that happens on the cruise and then mm-hmm. like edit on TV. Yeah. Anyway, a couple more matches from EW, and then we'll move on to NXT. Uh, moving on, we've got Pack versus Hangman Page in the rubber mm-hmm. match. And this was quite a brutal ending, like the way Pack just sort of literally was stomping on his head to the point where you know hangman was pretty much out yeah i think it's it's his kind of character because if you're going to call someone a bastard then Mm. you need to act like it they need to live up to that nickname so they need to be a bit more vicious and it felt slightly more right in this match than their full gear on in that people were complaining that pack was doing all the groundwork and yet hangman was doing the high flying 
So in this like, match, they were sort of using each other's styles essentially. Yeah, but Pack was doing more of like off the top rope moves, and Hangman got some revenge where he did the brainbuster on the outside, like Pack did to him at full gear. Yeah, and you've met Pack in in person as well, haven't you? Yeah, very briefly at uh, BCW. Was the, was the intensity there and just is is just being in proximity to him? It's weird because like like he's obviously very in good in good shape and like me and him, I think I'm not taller than Pat. Maybe only if I, if I a few inches or I might be the same height as him, but still being within his like a few a few feet of him, it's quite intimidating. Mm. And he's perfectly nice like for a brief second, but then when I took the photo with him, he immediately went back to the pack like skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that skill as well. See that finish as well. The the black arrow followed into the brutalizer. Mm-hmm. How good of a finishing combo was that? Yeah, I like that because I think you've got the flashing move that people want to see, but then Pat decides like, no, I I don't want to end on the move the big flashing move that people will pop for. I'm gonna do it my way, and then yeah, like, kind of force them not just to tap out, but you he just basically doing that move until they pass out, which like, is a lot more. Yeah, hang on. He was left for dead, essentially, the, given the number of stomps he took to the back of his head. He was literally out cold. Yeah, because kind of doing it until they pass out, you're not giving them the opportunity to tap out to try and like get you to release it. You're just holding it there until the opponent like can't take any more of the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, but that Brutalizer, I would say that is actually my favourite submission hold in all of wrestling today. Just yeah. the, way, the way it's carried out and you know the inability to sort of get out of it is this, it's... I mean, it pretty much, the name pretty much sums it up. It is brutal, to, mm-hmm. to put it in a nutshell. But yeah. where, where do you think Pack and Hangman are going to go from here? Uh, I think this feud, in particular, because I think this is more of an unintentional, or like unofficial, sorry, number one contender thing, because I can see Pack being the next contender, because he's very high up on the rankings at the moment. Mm-hmm. And cause between, I just think between the, two, the winner of their feud and the winner of their Moxley all, Mega feud would probably get the next shot, but seeing as the winner of their match at Full Gear didn't wasn't added to their record, I think I can see Pack as kind of a more tweener kind of character going up against uh, Omega. Sorry, no, uh, Jericho. The title maybe even on TV. I think it'd be nice to see Pack get a title shot. Hmm. But nonetheless, I want to see more of Pack because he's he's definitely you know the, in the same way as Moxley's done. He's really just thrusted himself in there and saying I'm going to go through everybody and destroy everyone so that I can get on top. So yeah, I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, main event of the night, we had SCU versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara for the AEW Tag Team titles. Um, I didn't see much of this match, but I think the big shocker of the night was Scorpio Sky getting the roll-up on Chris Jericho and handing him his first loss in AEW, which he didn't take too well, uh, no. shall we say. No, definitely not. And kudos to Scorpio Sky getting that win because they could have easily done a, week, a thing where they had Guevara taking the pin to kind of preserve Jericho a little bit because while it would have been a loss to his record in singles matches, he would have been unpinned, undefeated. Mm-hmm. But you got to think maybe there's some plans for Scorpio Sky going forward, like, more long-term, if he's getting this win. Yeah, so it looks like, in, in as a whole, they're sort of setting up multiple challengers in different aspects, because we've got Darby Allen, John Moxley, Pac, and now, you know, there's even talk of Scorpio Sky maybe even getting in there. Like, do you think this is really setting up a good dynamic for next opponents for Jericho? Yeah, but maybe, I think, because also you had... Uh, Christopher Diamonds and actually to kind of counterbalance the idea of Jake Hager being in Jericho and Guevara's corner. So maybe you can do almost a mini SCU versus the inner circle kind of feud and use mm-hmm. this win to kind of set that up. And it's quite fun because you remember that video of Jericho walking through the backstage after his title. And I think people have kind of forgotten this bit because of the whole bubbly that's been segment that's been memed. But Jericho's <laughs> walking through the back and he, he, he looks off camera and he sees some of the wrestlers standing there and he's just and abuse of them and he shoots at one point with Scorpio Sky, you'll never get a title shot, but now uh, Scorpio Sky has pinned him. So it's almost as if, like, was this intentional? Was this always yeah. the plan or was this kind of almost coincidental? And Farmer likes to think maybe they were kind of laying the seeds here. See, I'd forgotten about that. That's actually quite clever. It's long-term booking and it keeps a little bit of consistency. I think that's really well done. 
And yeah, I think that's one thing AEW is particularly good at. It's the fact that they're trying to keep storylines and even just little moments, no matter how important they are, they mm-hmm. refer back to it. So they've obviously, obviously gone back and watched that segment and tried to make something of it. And, but there was something else you mentioned that I would like to see is though that uh, Christopher Daniels is back in action. An SCU versus Inner Circle feud definitely sounds really promising. Yeah, because despite the fact that, like we've said, Daniel said he wants a singles match with Pentagon after they they took him out of the tag tournament, and you can still always do that. But I think for the moment you kind of can you leave that in the back burner. You've got them something to do once they come out of this feud, and maybe something in that. Ortiz and Santana might be the next kind of champion, so mm. you kept the belts on SEU for now because it's maybe a bit too soon, but if you're going to keep this going, maybe to then build some anticipation to maybe one of them challenging Jericho in a singles match, you have SEU lose the tag titles to the Inner Circle, so mm. not only do Inner Circle have all the kind of male titles, but also SEU now have like nothing left to kind of lose now going into a match with Jericho. Yeah, I think that's uh, that sounds like a, a great uh, great booking decision going forward. And also, like with the inner circle holding all the titles, you know they're kind of playing the role of the the top heel faction with all the available titles. I think the only thing they're missing though is a mid card title. So maybe we'll see that at some point. Maybe Sammy Guevara or maybe even Jake Hager could challenge for that, and then uh, they could have all the gold themselves, much like uh, the undisputed era do. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, that's AEW covered this week. Definitely something to look forward to in future weeks, see where it all pans out. So moving on now to NXT, and we opened with the Cruiserweight title match between Leo Rush and Angel Garza. Now, we discussed Angel Garza briefly at the end of last week's show, and I think it's safe to say we're both fans of him. Yeah, definitely. And like they were making all these comparisons to Eddie Guerrero and... This, this week they mentioned this was the anniversary of uh, of Eddie's passing and it was quite yeah. fun that Angel Garza was starting the show because he has some attributes of old school uh, heel Eddie Guerrero. Definitely, yeah. And the fact that I think Leo Rush's family was there as well and he did the, the you know, the whole tearaway trousers <laughs> thing in front of his family, I think that just added to his to his heel character. But see when he does his entrance though, he does come across as a bit of a, a cheeky face character, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, him and that old woman in the front row have more chemistry than more a more believable relationship than Buddy Lana and Bobby Lashley do at the moment. <laughs> uh, like, even, you know, the simplest things in NXT outdoes one of the most heavily overbooked angles on Raw. You know that's when NXT is the main roster. But, but, but you're right. I could see the comparisons between Angel Garza and Eddie Guerrero a bit because they sort of have similar personalities and they, they could be kind of cheeky chaps and... <laughs> They can act like a face, but also do dastardly heel tactics in the ring. But obviously we haven't seen Leo Rush in some time. You know, he was gone for about six months. He returns to NXT, becomes cruiserweight champion. Have you missed seeing Leo Rush in the ring? Yeah, definitely, because like all I, all I heard from him for a while before he made his kind of debut with Lashley was, oh, like, apparently he's got a bad attitude. He's a bit of a, you know, he, he didn't have the best attitude. And then you see him like, doing all these, like, how fast he is in the ring, and how good he can move for his size, like... He's lightning quick in the ring, he's unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. I just think it's a little bit disappointing that his finisher is kind of just a a frog splash. Yeah, especially when you see that that kind of spinning, like, uh, version of a kill switch that he kind of does. Yeah, I I don't see why that isn't his finisher. Mm, I'm not sure, but... The thing with Angel Garza, like, we've been talking about him being like Eddie Guerrero. If, if he doesn't get a takeover match where he comes out in a lowrider, I mean, this has just been a waste of time. Uh, no, I think the lowrider would be a step too far. But um, just to go through, like, a couple, it was a v- couple of very near falls in this match. You know, the Leo had his rolling kill switch kick out at two, two and a half. And then Angel Garza does the clipped wings, also kicks out at two and a half. So, so there was a, definitely a lot of good storytelling and a lot of anticipation and thinking, you know, maybe Angel Garza could pull off the upset. But unfortunately, the match had to end in controversial circumstances where I think Leo hit another frog splash, but Garza's foot was under the rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
Could you see these two maybe possibly having a rematch at TakeOver even? Definitely. Uh, before I say that, I want to say, like, I know what they were going for when they had Garza try to hit his finisher from the top, but just the setup it took for him to kind of drag Leo kind of up to the top. Like, part of the reason I didn't like when I used to watch, like, Punk back in his Ring of Honor, he used to do a pedigree from the top called the, the Pepsi Plunge, and yep. it just it just looked so convoluted to kind of set up. I don't like finishers that look like they're they take so much setup. Yeah. Supposed to move like the RKOs, you can hit like from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just so quick and so sudden, but with top rope moves, you officially have to heave them up there and then get set up for it. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, but, it's a leaveability out a little bit. Yeah. But the clip wings, you know, just on the mat, it is. it does look pretty effective because he does drop them pretty much on his head. Oh no, it's, uh, it's like an underhook DDT, but into uh, a sit-down. Yeah. yeah it's, really hard to describe uh, this kind of move. It's like a, a bubba bomb, but it's uh, a double underhook. Does that kind of work? Maybe, but yeah. as for the oh. finish, I was surprised when they made the announcement, oh, this, this we're going to see Rush versus Angel Garza, because I assumed the match was going to take place at TakeOver, because mm. we've got the majority of the champions, like actually all the other champions, are in War Games matches. Yeah, and you've only got one or two other matches between them, so I thought if you're gonna, they'd put this on takeover to give at least one title match. Mm-hmm. But maybe yeah, I, I think, think this 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 would be the one title match. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, especially after the finish. I mean, unless it was unintentional, they they're forced to go with it. But I, I wish, I hope they do because the fans were fairly split because Garza was still getting loud reactions and people were very, even you know, which was like celebrating with his family afterwards. People were loudly booing. The, the kind of controversial finish. Well, I think this actually sets the seeds for a potential rematch at TakeOver, and then that gets more eyes on the product, probably. So yeah. it could be quite clever what they've done with that. Uh, up next, uh, somewhat of a, a women's undercard match, we have Zia Lee against Aaliyah, and it can only really be summed up with one move, and that was the finishing spot, where uh, basically Aaliyah took a spinning heel kick to the face, and it pretty much broke her nose. As, as cruel as it may sound, I probably would have skipped this kind of this match if I hadn't before I watched it. He saw the photos that Aliyah had shared on, on social media of like her in the trainer's room and her, her face bloodied up and Vanessa mm-hmm. Bourne did not take too kindly to this posting on Twitter calling Zyle the sloppiest wrestler in WWE. Mm, but that's uh that's a bit of an understatement. Have, have she seen the main roster before? Uh, I mean, then when you think about it, like, someone like Zaylee, I think she does have legit martial arts background, so those kicks are going to hurt weight a lot more, mm. like, if she doesn't, like, if she's not able to kind of rein them in a little bit and make them, like, a bit safer. Yeah. You know what? I think this is a good way to showcase Zaylee, because obviously, you know, she's kind of been overshadowed by some of the other, by a lot of the other women on the, on the card. So having her in that sort of rising star position, I think this was probably the best thing for her. And, you know, Aaliyah and Vanessa Bourne, they do feel more like enhancement talent, like uh, like Tainara is at the minute. But I think this can only benefit Zaya in the, in the long run, because I think she's yet to... I think she's definitely had more wins than losses. And obviously when some of the upper tier women maybe feature more on Raw and SmackDown, there'll be a, a spot open for her. I mean, it's a sad state when it takes a woman's face getting busted open for her to get a lot of attention. We had... Becky last year, we had Aliyah and Zaylee here. You had bloody Mia Yim getting in badly hurt in the, the main event. Yeah, that was... Uh, well, we'll get to that in just, uh, in just a bit. But um, then we had a promo between Finn Balor and then Matt Riddle comes out and attack him. Now, because obviously Johnny Gargano has been announced as unable to compete because of a neck injury at TakeOver, so I think what was meant to be Balor versus Gargano is now going to be Balor versus Matt Riddle. So yeah. Balor calls him out in the promo and then Riddle just comes out and attacks him. Do you think, are you a little bit disappointed that we didn't get to see Balor-Gargano? A little bit because it would be interesting that even though Balor probably had to would have had to win because of his heel turn still being so fresh, but I think it would have just have been the first of a, of a series between those two and it's also sad that Gargano, the heart and soul and the face of NXT, can't be a part of this whole invasion storyline. Yeah, front representing NXT. 
I think he was teased to be the fourth member of War Games as well. <laughs> but uh, I think you know what I think. Valor, Riddle, I think they're going to put on just as good a match. And oh, if anything, it'll definitely set up a more anticipated one-on-one uh, -on -one between Valor and Gargano when he returns. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it gives kind of an opportunity for somebody else like to take that last spot in war games. Yeah. And then going through that promo, we had the, the rest of Team Champa come out along with Undisputed Era. And then we get a spontaneous match between Keith Lee and Roderick Strong. Uh, Keith Lee, do you think, uh, you know, he's he hasn't really had a takeover match since he debuted, but now he's getting that chance to do it inside War Games. And, you know, having this match against Roderick Strong, is this only going to help him in the long run? I mean, I'm on, I was sitting there watching this segment thinking, put a title on this man. Mm. I mean, the crowd... You could even hear the promos because people were singing Baskin his glory. You had Matt Riddle conducting the crowd the whole yeah. time, like put a title on this guy. Like I remember there were teases of him and either Riddle or Herman Dijakovic going after the tag belts or after this put the North American title on. Just this guy deserves a lot more than he's gotten because like I said, he's been here over a year. He's never had a takeover match until like he's gonna have next Saturday. Like this guy deserves to be one of the guys in NXT. He just oozes confidence and charisma, and the fact that he's got the crowd in the palm of his hand, I think you make a really strong case. Do you think he could be the one to defeat Roderick Strong for the North American title? Yeah, definitely, because Dream, we don't know how long he's going to be out for, and I think if anyone's going to take the title off, Cole, they're setting up to be Champa, so mm -hmm. I think it's a perfect kind of spot for him. And like, you see Keith Lee, when he does moves, like the pound where he just launches people, or that really hard double chop, and the... Yeah. He does such brutal moves, and yet seems like such a nice guy as well. Oh yeah, he just has that really calm demeanor about him. You know, he just has the the big smile in his face. But when he goes in the ring, he he literally goes, and he's a he's a big big guy as well, like three hundred twenty pounds. But he can do moonsaults, he can do uh, topes, and he, he's obviously got the power game as well. Do you think he is the full the full package? Yeah, absolutely, and because he can talk, he can do. Um, he's got a very hybrid sale in the ring and then he's clearly over with the fans and we don't know who like I assume a lot of people involved in the War Games match will be involved with Team NXT at Survivor Series mm -hmm. put Keith Lee front and centre in that team at Survivor Series let the main roster crowd see a bit of him and I guarantee he'll instantly get over with the crowd even if they haven't seen NXT before yeah great shout uh, and, then, and they've still to announce like the five uh, the five person teams for the for NXT in these big triple threat matches. Like they've yeah. got the tag team and the singles or the, the mid card titles set up. They just need, you know, a team for NXT. Yeah. I think Cole will probably be leading the team. I can see that, that happening, yeah. Given that Brock and Bray are defending their titles unless they decide oh yeah that Garen Cole's gonna be in a title match then but you know that remains to be seen. Yeah. Uh, up next, Isaiah Swerve Scott versus Bronson Reed. And I think have you mentioned this before? Were you are you a fan of of Swerve? Yeah, absolutely. I've become just as much more every time he appears. I've become a big fan of him. And you know what? We we've seen we've forgot to mention Dajkovic coming in and basically taking Riddle's spot with one spot still to be filled in Champions team. Oh give yeah, it to, give it to Swerve. I'm telling you. You think? Yeah, I mean, so he may be like lower down than the other guys but like I said it's an excellent opportunity for, for him and like he had that match with Roderick Strong a few weeks back he had a match with Dijakovic a few weeks last week like he may not always win but he came up leaps and bounds since the breakout tournament because I didn't like the fact they went out in the first round but he's another guy that you might not be familiar with but he's clearly over and he's got that he has that quiet confidence about him that makes you think like this guy knows how good he is. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up uh, Dijakovic, actually, because, uh, you know, he's uh, obviously being announced in the Team Champa for War Games as well. Dijakovic, and I think you've just described it, he's one of those guys in the same position as Keith Lee. The guy just oozes charisma. He's like a big, big, strong guy, and he can do, like, cruiserweight moves like nobody's business. Like, I, I was a fan of him 
like since his debut. And I'm glad he's getting showcased in the same way that Keith Lee is. The fact that he's not had a takeover match since he arrived either. Uh, so having the spotlight on him as well, you know, him and Keith Lee are like two sides of the same coin, like almost mirror images of each other. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also I like the fact that when Dajok came out, they didn't play his music. They just had him walk out because you can then just gauge on the fan reactions that something was happening because the fans were chatting, feasting our eyes for a good few seconds before the camera cuts to him. So yeah. You could, you could just judge on their reaction that they were happy to see him come out. The fans, uh, the NXT full sale crowd, do they know what they want out of NXT? And yeah, I think in it, the the roster is just responding accordingly. And yeah. I think that's what's, that's good having that connection between the fans and the roster. It's the fact that, you know, they, they know what they want to see and they're making it happen, which is which is great. Yeah, I mean, this is why it's good that the Cruiserweight division is here in NXT because the full sale crowd will appreciate it. I mean... When you heard me say this during the Leo Rush match, but when was the last time like, an NXT a cruiserweight match got a "This is awesome" chant? I mean, on the main roster, the people are just sitting on their hands and occasionally applauding, whereas the fans were as into this match as any other. Oh, it was just the timing of Two Five Live. The fact it, it immediately followed SmackDown, I can see why the fans would would think like that. When you'd, I think it, it would have made more sense to have Two Five before SmackDown as sort of like the warm up show. Yeah, and they taped the 205 Live before last week's NXT and then aired that on Friday from Full Sail and which and you could see the clear difference in why it should be at Full Sail and that, mm-hmm. that episode even featured the 205 Live debut of Mansoor. Oh yeah, Mansoor. Yeah, it's, he's been making waves since uh, since Crown Jewel. Yeah, he is Brian Kendrick. Yep, well uh, let's uh, let's keep an eye on them them going forward as well. Uh, up next, it wasn't really a match, but more just a, a, a massive brawl between Pete Dunne, Killian Dane, and Damian Priest. Uh, I think we can sort of see the writing on the wall with this. It's most likely going to be a triple threat, maybe yeah. at TakeOver. Like, are yeah. you? Would you be up for that? Yeah, I think this was a case of making it more clear, like, this is the direction we're going in. And I think I'm more up for it now than I would have been last week, because Damian Priest's match with, Keith, with uh, Pete Dunne, their second match from the other week was much better than their first one, so mm-hmm. I'm more into the idea of seeing him add in this equation because if it, this angle had happened a few weeks ago, I probably would have been a bit annoyed because I'd rather see uh, Killian Dane versus Pete Dunne. Yeah. I'd be happy to have seen uh, Pete Dunne versus Dane or maybe Dunne and Priest in a rubber match, but the fact that we're getting all three, I mean, yeah. I'm just I'm happy with that as well. And... Again, they're they're showcasing an up and coming talent in the form of Damian Priest. So they've got a really good balance with showcasing like well established NXT talent, but also those that are just uh, that are just arriving and making waves. Do you think this is a good way to showcase Damian Priest amongst you know the former NXT UK champion and the man who was part of Sanity? We know him from ICW as Big Demo. But he's now the the angry powerhouse of NXT. Yeah, I think it's not great for all three of these guys because the fact that a lot of your top guys will be in war games, so like the middle card bit of TakeOver needs to be kind of filled out and they're just looking at guys, while they might have not been as many high-profile matches in NXT, they're looking for the guys who will put on the best spectacle. Mm-hmm. And I think these three guys will put on a... I think it's going to be a really hard-hitting kind of affair because... There's kind of the varying different sizes and varying varying degrees of athleticism between all three guys. So yeah, very three different, three different styles, definitely. Yeah, very and neat matchup. Do you think it's? Uh, I think Takeover. I think you're right. Is definitely the best way to showcase all this new talent. As like you said, all the the top tier stars are going to be featured in War Games. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it'll get announced either this week or maybe by next week at some point because takeover well war games is next weekend yeah. so they've got one more chance to sort of really fill up the card and finally we have uh one of my favorite match types uh, a ladder match for the war games advantage between Io Shirai and Mia Yim like I have to admit I'm a huge fan of ladder matches but it was a I think it was kind of weird seeing it on a just a regular weekly show as opposed to a pay-per-view, and they don't tend to be as effective. But 
do you think this was more of a slow burner and then it sort of picked up towards the end? Yeah, definitely. And I think what I noticed from it as it went on that really one or two like ladders in this match, like they had that one ladder in the centre of the ramp, whereas usually nowadays they have all these ladders set up on the right side area. And mostly with ladder matches these days, you know, you usually have a at least maybe six people involved rather than just it being one-on-one. Like, when was the last time you actually saw a one-on-one ladder match in WWE? I can't actually think to it. Exactly, yeah. It's It's been so long since you've just seen a singles ladder match that because every every ladder match has been mostly multi, multi-person matches. But having, uh, I think there were two key moments in this match that really sort of stood out. Because obviously, Io Shirai, she is still fantastic as a heel. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it was the moment, I think, Mia Yim had a ladder up, and then Io went in for a springboard dropkick, and it literally busted Mia's face open. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say, there was that, like, the setup for this match, like, at least the first part of it, I felt like a lot of the, like, whenever they were first trying out the ladder match concept, where it'd be, like, only one or two ladders involved, and... It was less a case of doing like flashy moves. It was a case of incapacitate your opponent long enough and a kind of a race to see if you can get the ladder first. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like at first. And then they started ramping up a little bit with kind of they did an overhead like suplex in the corner on the ladder. And then they did the big drop kick spot, as you mentioned, and like I said, busting me open. So like it was a slow kind of burn. Mm-hmm. And it made it, and it was made all the more special because of the fact that, as you said, we don't get these ladder matches on TV too often. Yeah, and obviously with the concept of multi-person ladder matches, you tend to have more big spots, given that there's a, a huge mix of competitors in there. But when you've got two, just two people going one-on-one, let alone like a women's one-on-one ladder match, which you don't really see, I don't think we've ever seen at all in WWE. I think they had to go back to basics for the sake of, you know, it's a 1v1 women's ladder match. So... Maybe it was the right thing, maybe just to keep it simple. Have a few a few tough spots, but, you know, don't go too crazy with it, considering yeah. that they, they both need to be in fighting condition for war games. Yeah, I think the reason they go a bit crazier for, like, multiple men, uh, ladder matches, like, with, like, six competitors in there, it's like, they want everyone to have their moment, get everyone yeah. gets their stuff in, mm-hmm. so they need to sit out so they can be, like, one person gets this spot and then the other person's involved in this mm-hmm. spot where you, you don't need to do that much stuff because it's just between two people yeah and but towards the end mia took a massive bump as well like literally she was pushed off a ladder to that bridged ladder on the outside and it broke after she just had her face busted open and i think mauro's commentary just summed it up he just went mama mia like the longest one because and it, how fitting as well like because uh, her name's mia yeah, I remember when she got pushed over, I forgot that ladder was there, and then the angle, it just looked like she had dropped to the floor, then all you can hear is, like, ladder breaking as, as she falls through it. Oh, I mean, props to Mia as well. I mean, she gets her face busted open and then takes a bump like that. She She's... I've got a new level of respect for her. Yeah, I think she needed this match, because they were really pushing her heavily going into Toronto, and then her match with Shayna under delivered so mm. she needs something to really get the fans behind her again well i think she did just that but it wasn't necessarily just the bump itself that was the most shocking moment it was actually who pushed the ladder over in the first place it was none other than glasgow's own nxt uk women's champion kaylee ray who has now been announced as the fourth member of team Shayna in the war games match like, what was your reaction to hearing that news yeah it was, it was definitely surprising because we were trying to say in the last episode that we didn't know who because we were trying to say maybe Kai, but then we didn't see her as a heel. Mm-hmm. So Kaylee yeah. Ray is definitely an outside the box kind of choice. Again, it just sort of defies you know the obvious choice. You know, you think Dakota Kai was going to be in there, but obviously we'd seen her on SmackDown this week. She's basically teaming up with the rest of Team Rhea in an eight-person tag match against the SmackDown women. And now uh, we just see that the outsider, Kaylee Ray, come out of nowhere to join Team Shayna. Yeah, I mean, as much as we like to slag and uh, you know, take the piss with the whole WWE's and Citizens on first-time-evers, 
yeah, there is a genuine first time ever here in that I had to ask in the group chat for the podcast that with Kayla Reasonable, I think this might be the first ever time a Scottish person has been involved in a War Games match because the closest we've came is Roddy Piper and he's definitely not Scottish. <laughs> yeah, definitely not Scottish. <laughs> but I think you might be right in the terms of War Games as well. But I think you're just, I think if you just take out, you know, nationalities for the moment, having just seen Kayleigh Ray, someone we've seen many a time in ICW, you know, seeing her on a, on a big stage like NXT TakeOver, which has actually become, some would argue, more prominent than WWE's Raw and SmackDown pay-per-views. Do you think this is going to benefit Kayleigh in the, in the long run? Definitely, because like we saw last year, Pete Dunn, while he was still UK champion, went into war games, and I think I just further got more eyes on him and showed people how good he was. And I think this is getting more eyes on Kaylee Ray, and like you mm-hmm. got Rhea Ripley, who was the first UK women's champion, so you've got two like standouts of ex UK women's division in the one match. Yeah, so basically all. It's an NXT All Star cast essentially when you've got the best of Full Sail and the best of the UK involved. But that wasn't quite the end of the show though because Shayna comes out to congratulate her team members on a job well done. Out of nowhere, like an RKO, Bailey shows up. <laughs> uh-huh. Bailey shows yeah. up and gets a, a, a hit in on Shayna. Yeah, and you know, fair enough because Bailey at first felt like an afterthought in the build up to this triple threat Survivor Series. Mm-hmm. But since then, like she got involved in a of a brawl with Shayna during Raw, which helped distract uh, Becky, which cost her and Charlotte the tag titles on Raw. And then you had this, so you had Shayna, uh, sorry, Bailey coming to NXT to Shayna's house almost and kind of showing her up. So good for Bailey because I think a lot of people, the position they have on this match is that Bailey's kind of the fall person in this match. Mm. But you know what? Prove everybody wrong. But you know what now? I actually think, given that the, there's a lot more focus on Shayna and Bailey, I'm starting to think Becky's starting to feel like the the afterthought in this triple threat. Because I think what they've quite cleverly done is they've actually made Bailey just as a just as important a factor as, as the other two. Yeah, because they already know there's, there's history there, the stuff they can use to build a tension between Baszler and Becky because of the connection with Ronda. Yeah. So it's kind of Bailey they need to do kind of work to make a, a legit threat. Well, well, they did a good job of it because now Bailey's got my attention uh, in this triple threat because Shayna now has issues with both of them. Although they're just—I just think there's lack of a of a feud between Becky and Bailey now. But maybe they can rectify that in this coming week. Yeah, I mean, I don't really need to do much between Bailey and Becky because you've got that fourth woman connection that WWE likes to harp on about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the extent we're going to get with it, but. For NXT next week as well, we're going to get Adam Cole, baby, going against Dominic Dijakovic in a War Games Advantage ladder match as well. Do you think this is probably the right thing to do to keep consistency, or do you think back-to-back ladder matches uh, on weekly shows is maybe a bit overkill? It's kind of a mixed bag for me in that it's good that both War Games uh, matches are getting similar matches to build like for the advantage on the line, because it makes both matches feel like they're even. Mm-hmm. Like if the men's one got a ladder match and the women's one didn't, some people would probably look at that a bit like why are women not getting a similar match to decide the advantage? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it'll probably have a similar finish because most of the time when an advantage is on the line, it needs to go to the heel to give the faces a better like like so if the faces lose they've got an excuse so like like we're on an unfair advantage or the faces uh-huh. makes it with our victory look greater. Because if the faces win and have an advantage, it doesn't really feel like they've accomplished anything by beating the heels. No, yeah. But for me personally, I think I'm, I'm all for it because I think this is what a lot of people have been craving when it comes to treatment of the male and female divisions. It's just a bit of consistency between both. And having the same advantage set up for war games on both, in both matches... I think doing the same thing is actually exactly what needs to be done because it shows that neither of them are being treated differently. They're both going through the same procedures to get the advantage. They're both going to be in War Games matches and they're getting a good mix of superstars in there. So I'm definitely all for it. 
Yeah, and I think this will probably main event next week, so I can see yep. that being in the, the fallout from the match. They'll probably unveil the final member of Champ's team, which will give them a really hot like closing angle to really sell TakeOver yeah. on Saturday. All right, just uh, before we wrap up, who do you think is going to be the fourth member of Team Champa? It may be me going with my heart more than my head, but I really want it to be Swerve because with, mm-hmm. it, with Dream and Gargano out and Riddle in a match with Balor, I can't see it. can't see who else it would be. Mm. Yeah, I think to be safe, and I think, you know, he could return from injury a bit sooner, I might go with Velveteen Dream. Okay. But, but given what I think is happening on Raw this week, uh, bear with me, this is going to be a bit outside the box here. I think the fourth member of Team Champa could be Seth Rollins. What? Yeah. Well, because on Raw this week, Seth Rollins is facing Andrade for his Survivor Series spot. So if Seth loses, Andrade's in, Rollins is out. So that leaves Rollins without a match at Survivor Series. So if And there has been teasing with him between Triple H about possibly going back to NXT. So, what better way to make an impact than by him joining Team Champa as the fourth member? So, think about it. He gets involved in a high-profile match. It's a new direction for, its char- for his character. And he could potentially challenge Adam Cole again for the NXT title. Uh, I know like what you're getting at here, but I'm not sure I'd be all for that because... Yeah, he's like a main I said, roster guy, and he'd, he'd probably feel like he was taking the shine away from some of these guys, whereas if he had somebody like Swerve doing it, and I know I keep harping on about him, but he's kind of a guy that he's not like had this much of a platform yet, so mm. I'm thinking more about giving the opportunity for somebody who could really use it. Maybe. But would you have predicted Kayla Ray has been the fourth member for, for Team Shayna? I mean, you have to... I think we've got to keep all possibilities open and being outside the box is something that NXT is actually really good at. But Isaiah Swerve, I think he would be good to showcase an up-and-comer. But at at this stage, I can't say for certain. It's best to keep all options open at this stage. Yeah, I mean, Kayla Ray, though, when you think about it, she's still technically under the NXT umbrella with NXT UK. Yeah, I suppose. But... We'll, uh, we'll wait and see what happens. So let's uh, let's just wrap things up. And first thing we're going to do is get to the numbers. So the viewing figures for this week, uh, AEW 957k viewers, NXT 750k. So it's the gap starting to widen again from last week. But I think AEW had a bit more viewers because obviously it was the fallout of Full Gear. And I think they were curious as to see what would happen with MJF and Cody. But overall, which uh, which do you think was the better show this week? I think, weirdly, despite the two like hot matches to start and close the show for NXT, AEW kind of took it only just slightly for me because like you said I wanted to see what would happen and then you had the segment from Mox playing that. So mm. I do think the fallout from Full Gear helped them because the go-home show for Full Gear also did a good number. But I'm hopeful for next week because I don't think NXT may not beat them in the ratings. I think they'll get a lot closer because they've got a go-home show. Yep, that's true. Um, I'm going to go the opposite. I think NXT absolutely smashed out of the park this week. You know, not just because of not just because of the ladder match, but also fantastic match between Leo Rush and Angel Garza and then obviously the continued build towards war games and obviously the undercard as well with Balor Riddle and possibly Dundane and Priest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not really a slant on the other show if you say you preferred one because it's a case of which what struck out, stuck out to you more. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the more specific aspects of that just now. Uh, if you're listening to the Wednesday Night Wars for the first time, towards the end is that we do what's called our Undeniable and Undisputed Awards of the Week where we award the, those titles to the best AEW and NXT segments or matches for this week. So, Scott, I'm going to ask you, what would you give the Undeniable Award to this week for the best AEW segment or match? I think uh, my Undeniable Award for the second week in a row involves Chris Jericho, because I'm going to give that main event 
match with Scorpio Sky picking up a big win uh, as my undeniable award of the week. Okay. Um, I will also go with Chris Jericho, but I'm going to give it to his promo with MJF because mm-hmm. I, liked, I liked the sheer hilarity and the interaction between the two of them in the way that it reflects kind of what his sort of past promos in WWE were like. But I liked it because that's what he's good at and they were sort of playing to his strengths a bit. And it really sort of builds a feud up between MJF and Cody in a in a different aspect. So that's my undeniable award for the week. Uh, and now moving over to NXT, what would you give your undisputed award for best NXT segment or match this week? I would give it hands down to the promo and subsequent victory over Roderick Strong for Keith Lee this week. Okay. Uh, I'm kind of torn between this one, but whilst I think the ladder match and the surprises of Kaylee Ray and Bailey were fantastic, I have to give it to the really fast-paced and exciting match between Leo Rush and Angel Garza, who I think are going to be heading towards a rematch with a little bit of animos, a little bit more animosity between the two of them. Fair enough. I mean, I think it's not a bad thing that you can't really just say which is your I think it just shows how good the show was this week. Yeah, I mean, NXT was great on a lot of fronts, but that opening match, you know, I think it was it was outstanding. Mm-hmm. So, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week's episode of Wednesday Night Wars. Uh, Scott, will you be joining me again next week where we discuss the the final NXT show before this year's war games and the potential fallout we've got between chris jericho mgf and maybe even scorpio sky going forward maybe i mean maybe i may need a week after that that stooge comment at the start but you know you never know because i popped up on this the power <laughs> trip and roll report so you never know where i'm going to pop up on patreon mm. well I think you've had worse before, so uh, we'll just uh, we'll just leave it at that. So uh, thanks for listening to Wednesday Night Wars. Make sure you check out all the other great content on Patreon. Just visit us at patreon.com forward slash suplexretweet. And from just $4 a month, you can get this and all our other shows, including Raw Report, Saturday Night Smackdown, Power Trip, and of course, Sarah and Kwaku's untitled Scottish indie show, which they've yet to still decide on a name. So all that and more on our Patreon page. Indie sausage roll. Oh, for God's sake. And aside from Patreon, make sure you subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, Android, Anchor, and Spotify. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Suplex Retweet, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And be sure to join our community page as well, where you can join in all the discussion and all all the activities. So follow us on that. I've been David Hockney, he's been Scott McLeod, this has been Wednesday Night Wars, and we'll see you next week.